Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Callie Hernandez, an actor you'll recognize from her appearances in everything from La La Land and Blair Witch to Under the Silver Lake and The Endless. She just turned up in the second season of The Flight Attendant, she has a featured role in Shotgun Wedding, and her latest film, Pete O's dark indie comedy Jethica, is now streaming on Fandor in the US. It's really something, and you should check it out. Callie picked Anatomy of Hell, Catherine Breya's 2004 chamber piece about an unnamed French woman, played by Amira Kassar, who hires an unnamed man, played by Rocco Sifredi, to watch me where I'm unwatchable. And over the course of four nights, we find out exactly what she means by that. Part philosophical treatise, part anti-romantic drama, and maybe even a kind of love story, it scandalized festival-goers around the world and now stands as one of Breya's most extreme provocations. If you've seen it, trust me, you know. This is someone else's movie. I did feel a tinge of anxiety, but the, I was like, why did I choose this film? But I chose this film because it's truly, I could watch it 50 times. Um, and the process that Catherine Breyat, like, you know, she wrote her first book at 17 and then, ba- you know, her novel, um, which I have here, Man for the Asking, which I don't think it got made fully. It, it didn't get released at least until I think 23 years after she wrote it. I mean, the fact that she wrote that at 17 and then I, I watched Anatomy of Hell before I knew that she'd written a book, you know, she'd written a book that she based her screenplay on called Pornocracy. Mm-hmm. And then I, I didn't, I didn't, I was fascinated by her, um, process and you know that sounds so dumb and i'm really not remiss enough to try and comment on what i think Catherine briot means you know my cinephile ex-boyfriend will be like that's not true that's not what's happened in 1940 you know whatever um but so i'm not i'm not in any way shape or form um even equipped to talk about Catherine briot's um process or what her line of thinking is or what she intends but I just, as a, as a person who came very much so from, um, you know, <laughs> uh, trailers in Texas and, and different, um, not always, but, um, a very unique background. Well, maybe not very unique, but, uh, a, a very unique to this quote unquote business, I would say, um, that I was just a punk kid, you know, that, I didn't really know what I was doing and I just loved movies and I didn't ever even know that I was going to be an actress necessarily. It just seemed like, Oh, this is what's happening already. So, and I do love to perform um, and played music before. So it was, it was, it seemed like that was just what was happening. But um, as a person coming very much so from a very untrained, non-academic background, and yes, I did go to college and I actually studied photojournalism, but um, I I always wanted, I did documentary photography and writing, and I, I made very strange short films, but I had no idea what I was doing. And something that draws me to, you know, I this occurred to me this morning that if you talk about Anatomy of Hell, which is one of her like like uh less 
discussed films, um, it you have to talk about her. Yeah, <laughs> and you have oh, to yeah, talk yeah. about the rest of her work, and you have to talk about the way that she, her intentions, and again, if she ever hears this, I would um, roll over and die if I um, misspoke about you know her intention or try to pretend like I. I pretentiously knew anything about whatever it is I just know that I love her and I am moved by everything that she does and almost everything that she does and um her specific scope and um she's so precise when it comes to sexuality when it comes to women when it comes to intimacy and those three things and also she's quite funny really if you if you think about it um but those things are things that I've always naturally been drawn to, whether it's been music or, you know, um, photography or, or directing or, or shooting. I like to shoot things a lot. Um, what, what, or, or if it's acting, like those are always things that I don't sit there and go, oh, I need to, I, I want to display this sort of thing. It's something that has occurred naturally to me as an interest. So anatomy of how was one of these films that when I turned it on, I could not move. Um, I, I I actually felt completely frozen <laughs> as I was watching it because I couldn't believe that I was watching a film like this. Um, and I've seen it so many times now and could watch it a million more times and still find more things to talk about. But I think the the audacity she sort of has in tackling some of these topics in her casting in um her completely unapologetic way of um commenting on what she believes to be true you know she's found herself in a very political position but i i know she didn't set out to do that um she's just she's just trying to talk about something that no one wants to talk about um that she's been told repeatedly since she was 17 years old and wrote a man for the asking that she's not allowed to talk about. Um, and she always, even when you read her interviews and things like she's constantly asking questions, um, even to herself, she's going, why can't I do that? Why, why is it like this? Why, why aren't we allowed to do this? Why would I do that? Why would I, you know? And so there's a curious nature about the film too, that I think I, she also very much, you know, kind of like how Pete's approach to Jessica was like, I don't know. She's very much so a, a true, she just wants to see what it is. Um, she just wants to find out. And so I think that was very apparent in that film in particular. <laughs> it's funny. As soon as you said you'd studied photojournalism, it clicked for me that this would be the one that hooks you because it's all about seeing it's literally about like the proposition is I want you to watch me where I'm unlawful. but so much of it is about trapping people in a delineated space, right? Like they are in a frame, even though they don't think they are. And so, I mean, were you, did you see it in 2004? Did you see it later? When did you, when did you find it? Not later? I, I didn't see it. I mean, I'd seen fat girl and I, I'd seen, you know, um, some of her more notable, I'd seen romance, but I had not seen anatomy of hell. And I, I saw it probably two years ago. Oh, that recently. Yeah. Really recently. Um, and it just really 
stuck with me. I don't know what to say. That sounds so lame to say, but it's true. It, it, it became instantly an obsession of mine um, and still is. Um, and I think it is true. She sort of traps, she for, well, you know, she sort of forces people to stick their nose in it, you know? Um, mm. And I like that um, because I think, well, I don't know why I like it. I just like it. Um, I don't like it for the sake that, it, you know, I think there's a lot of filmmakers and, and, um, people trying to make films now that be that for the sake of sticking people's nose in it, but it, I, this film is not for the sake of sticking someone's nose in it. It's because she herself wants to face whatever it is that it, that it is and see what happens. Um, and her anatomy of hell in particular is, I think more than anything about intimacy with the self. Um, for me, at least when I watch it, um, and it's about intimacy because you're absolutely right. She traps you into this room and kind of forces you to watch without it. I don't want to do any spoilers, but you know, there's definitely some insane moments in, in that, film where you're like oh my god he's gonna drink her period blood <laughs> and her tampon and it's um it's fascinating it's like it does it forces you to ask questions and be like why is this so off limits um you know and she's earned herself like a very strange reputation in terms of just being a filmmaker and having comments on certain things and and whatnot and you know it also occurred to me this morning that Me Too is also, you know, the the movement. She has a lot of really strong opinions on that as well. And and so do I, you know, um, being an actress, being in positions before with very powerful men that I have that are asking me, you know, why do you have such a problem with nudity? I'm like, I don't have a problem with nudity. I have a problem with you. <laughs> um, or I don't have a problem with you. I have a problem with the way that this is being done. Um I don't have a problem with nudity. Um, it's always the things around it that make it so that you're in, you yourself as an actress are trapped in this in this way where you feel very much like a, a deer caught in headlights and forced to do things. Because I've been naked in so many things, and some I had good experiences on, and some I didn't, um, and some I said something about, and some I didn't, and. I, the things that I said things about there were absolutely repercussions for that. Um, and it took me a while to even understand why it was such a charged subject for me, because I was thought to myself, I don't have a problem with these with sexuality or with nudity or with intimacy or with portraying that on screen. That's actually the, the thing that I'm the most interested in um, as a, a as an actress, but also just as a person. Um, and I had to ask myself, you know, and, and I, you know, why is this such a charged subject, even for me, in, depending on the circumstance? And I don't know, I think the, the, there, there's no right answer, you know, to, you know, is the Me Too movement good? Is the Me Too movement bad? Is it, you know, whatever it's, it's all, but everything's being so blanketed in a certain way that it just is destroying nuance in a certain way. And I think that's what she probably has. I don't know. I'm not going to comment on her uh, and her opinions about that, but 
obviously if she's making a film like anatomy of hell she's interested in in getting and she's said this in interviews you know she wants there to be absolutely no space she wants the she says her she said in an interview that her films are made for one person to watch and they're not really made for theaters it's made for an individualistic sort of experience um and sticking the person putting the shoving the person in that room and closing and closing and closing the doors and and not having any space between two people and you know there's also a lot of talk about the fact that she cast Rocco you know in that role yeah Um, I mean he'd been in romance in a smaller part yes and this was I mean he's effectively it's fascinating because he's not an actor like he he is not navigating those scenes like an actor and I think that makes it work Mm-hmm. Um, her, her choice of him is it's deliberate. He only has the one suit, right? He keeps coming back. He looks the same, which I think is a comment on pornography where you really don't expect anything other than the form from the person. Um, I, I don't want to get too far away from what you were just saying though, because I find it really interesting that everything is immediately about possession. Everything like you're being, you're, you're being captured by a camera. And as soon as that goes out, just, you know, like all art, it's, it's for the public to do whatever they want with and and nudity lends itself to the uglier exploitations. And in a weird way, that gets me back to Brea because all of her films are about reversing the gaze, just absolutely refusing to be comfortable with exploitation, right? Of the people on the screen, of, of the people who put those images on the screen, all of it, that seems to be her hook. Well, and again, I, I really don't want to put words in her mouth. Um, but I, from what I feel when I watch her things and uh, from, from when I watch her films and from when I hear her speak, um, it, it's not even that she's refusing to, to, um, it's not even that she's refusing to, to engage with exploitation. In fact, she is engaging with exploitation. Oh, yeah. And, it's that she i think she herself is is trying to figure out what where the line is what it is why she's just, she's not she's just not interested i think is the truth you know she talks about porn and she's like ugh she talks about eroticism she's like ugh what is that um you know because she's just not interested um and i feel the same way um so maybe that's also why part of her and, you know, again, I said, you know, I realized this morning that if we're going to talk about anatomy of hell, we have to talk about her. Basically, we have to talk about everything she's ever done. But that is also how I feel. I'm just not interested. It's just not interesting. It's not even that I feel uncomfortable or that I don't understand power dynamics, especially when it comes to quote unquote Hollywood. Um, those are clear. <laughs> you don't have a choice at a certain point. And um, and it, it's not that I'm, I'm not angry about it. I'm just interested in why. And I'm also, I, I, I'm also sort of curious about this concept of exploitation. You know, when you said like, it sounds like I have, I have a reaction to exploitation. I don't even know if that's true. Okay. I don't know if it's true that I have a reaction to exploitation. I'm uh, maybe a curiosity about why it is that way or how it came to be or why people want to exploit or why people have the desire to exploit or, or the ways in which it comes about. Cause you mentioned like wiki feet, you know, that's and, a thing. 
it's a real thing. And it feels weird, you know, to look at it and you go, whoa, my feet are all are on the internet and in a way that people, wow, I'm surprised you got that. Good job. She found some toy way underneath the bed. Um, but, uh, you know, I started making in the pandemic, I, I actually felt a weird sense. And it's, and it's funny. I'm, I have not said this to anyone yet. Um, at all. Um, you know, I lost my dad and a number three family members in the same week to COVID. So oh I'm my God. at any uh, last year. And so I'm not at, 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 there's no part of me when I say this, that is insensitive about um, COVID and how many people it killed because it took my dad. But um, it, there was a sense when, when the world shut down that I felt a sense of relief that I don't have to become a person in the world. I can just be a person. And I felt sort of really baffled by my reaction initially. And, and I just was like, there's no reason to do anything in terms of, and so now I have all this freedom to do whatever I want. And there was this weird moment where I love making bouquets and I'm a strange individual. And I started making bouquets with my feet and making these videos of, of, and I didn't know what I was doing or why I was doing it. It wasn't for anybody. It was just, I was just experimenting, but and I thought, wow, that's so interesting because this wiki feet thing that you're bringing up and my sort of, it wasn't a response as like, I'm going to take the power back and I'm just going to own my own feet. It, it wasn't like that. It was just, oh, I want to, I'm curious as to what this is. I it, I didn't even think about it that much. Um but I'm not afraid of my own feet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not afraid of my own feet. I'm not afraid of people are going to look at your feet, whether they're on the internet or not, if they want to look at your feet, like that's just kind of true. Um, so, so when it comes to this, this topic of exploitation or, you know, you know, I think a lot of people really want to hear somebody saying I'm taking the power back or I didn't like working with, so-called director because he had a male gaze on it um um he's a male and he has a gaze you know um and i'm just not interested i it's not even and i've also had experience with women in in film where it's like that's surprising sometimes but it's but it's no one I just don't care about that. It's just not, it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, nudity for the sake of nudity is, is just, it is sort of pornographic and I'm not anti-porn or pro-porn. Anybody can like whatever they want. Um, just personally, I'm interested in intimacy and I'm interested in people. And so that's a long winded answer to a question you didn't ask, but um it's fine yeah. it's in context i mean it's absolutely part of the conversation that we're having about the film and and something that bria has said a number of times uh, she said it to me when i interviewed her for i guess it was for sexist comedy uh, uh -huh. when she brought that to tiff and she said like i i am delighted by the idea of people trying to see my films as pornographic because you know there was the big controversy with romance getting the x and then she made fat girl which there is sex in it but it's not in any way supposed to be, as with all of her films, none of this is for anyone's pleasure. Um, and I think it was because a real young girl had just come out 
Mm-hmm. It would have been right around the same time anyway, because I Tiff had screened it. So I had seen it. And this is the first film she made in 1976. And it's about a, uh, uh, I think she said, I think she's 16 in the film, but the character is coming of age and, and experimenting with sex and sexuality and understanding that she can make men do things um, simply because she is pubescent and young and, and beautiful. And the title is uh, in, in, um, in French, it's une vraie jeune fille, which means, you know, like a proper young lady, like a real, a, a good girl, which is the opposite, of course, because she's just going out and manipulating people. But there is a moment where she masturbates with a bottle in, in a field. And that was what Brea was saying. It was like, there's no, someone, how did she put it? Because it was, it was very funny. I think, she, I think it was like someone could probably get off to that if they really tried. But that's not what she's doing. And it's it's sort of this complicit exploitation. I mean, and, and even in sexist comedy, she indicts herself by having her avatar as the director be manipulative as hell to get the performances she wants. And, and, you know, it's all about the making of, of uh, fat girl. Mm-hmm. And so she's indicting herself as much as anyone else in the process of it. But mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if it was provocation or if it was simply ag- acknowledgement, right? I mean, are we supposed to be mad at, at this version of her or are we supposed to be on side with this is what's required to make people comfortable enough to be exploited in your film and if your film has a higher point then that's worth it i think it's just this ouroboros it never gives up on um self-indictment i suppose but also there's no denying that it's done deliberately like there is a controlling aesthetic behind all of this definitely absolutely there that's such a good point and and it's also it it just makes you know you the the it's also impossible to talk about this film or work in general without talking about the the word or the concept which has been adapted in so many ways now of uh, like provocateur being a provocateur and mm-hmm. provocation and i really truly when i watch you know back girl or i watch Anatomy of Hell, or I watch um, a real young girl, um, or romance, or a- any of these films. I don't feel she's. I don't feel that. I have seen films now that I I know, even a, a certain filmmaker comes to mind, that she's really trying to be a a, a provocateur, and it it sort of you it reeks of that. And I don't feel that in 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 Brayot's work. I feel her her vehemently um, and passionately infusing whatever her work is with. It's not for the sake of provocation. It's because it already exists, <laughs> and and so she just is shining a light on that provocation because it exists because it simply exists. She's just, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is acknowledgement that it exists. Uh, like what you were saying about a real young girl, like the manipulation that, you know, this sort of, I mean, virgin like quality, you know, what she can draw in and what she can do with it is, is, uh, is it exists. Um, and there's no blame. That's the other thing is, I think things are so misconstrued 
now personally, it's such a, I've done things that I, I, you know, I'm not a good, I'm not always good. I try, but I'm not, I've made mistakes. And now there's all this fear of if you say the truth and someone else will say something about you or, or, or vice versa or, or whatever it is, you know, and, and, and then people want to be provocative because they want the attention to be hated. And I'm just not interested in any of that. It just exists. These things just do exist. And, and I just really feel always, especially with anatomy of hell, she's not even saying, you know, cause Rocco plays, you know, it's, it, it starts out in sort of, I'm sorry, my dog is trying to respond so loud. It's okay. I'm not picking up too much of it. Okay. I forgot what I was saying. Um, oh, uh, we were talking about uh, the casting of, of Rocco Sifredi and, and how oh, he's yeah. ostensibly. I don't think she, I really don't think that she cast him because he was a porn star. She doesn't even like porn. And she said that many times. She, and I, and I read an interview where she was talking about um, his casting in that and the choice. And she said, I chose him because I wanted to. Um, not because of anything else, but because I wanted to, and I believed that he could in, in, he could, he, he was the right person for, for the role and he could, what interests him ultimately is, is emotion. And, uh, and, um, and, and there were so many things that I read about the two of them working together and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, I, I think he she talked extensively about his ability to be physical and that film that's another thing that interests me just as on a human level so much and especially in performance whether it's comedy whether it's sex whether it's romance whether it's action i love physical um i love anything physical um i don't know why <laughs> but i've done most of my own stunts, like in Under the Silver Lake, you know, they drag me to the bottom of the pool and I'm naked and I have to pull this thing and I have my ears plugged and this hug and I had, I think I had strap at the time that I was like running through the park. You know, the only way that the guys at the bottom of the pool with the scuba stuff know to let you go is if you scream underwater. And I'm supposed to be playing dead and, you know, making sure the thing, I get off on it. I like the physical, I love when I'm, when I'm allowed and when I'm given the opportunity to be physical so much so that probably when I, when I do get the opportunity, I probably go zero to 60 pretty, pretty quick. And it probably freaks me a lot, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she talks so much about how anatomy of hell is, is such a physical, it's about, it, well, it's not about physicality, but incorporates so much physicality. And Rocco was the, was the person for the job. And I also read that, they had discussed the fact that she said, you know, Rocco, this is about the truth. And um, there's not going to be real sex on, on screen. And he was like, well, then it's not the truth. And she was kind of like, what you're going to learn is how to be naked. Your soul will be naked. And that is so present in the film, I think. And I thought he did such a fantastic, he's a fantastic actor. He's fantastic in it. And so that's sort of the essence, I think, of the, the film, at least for me, that, that, that just gets me every single time. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my twice-weekly newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. 
Last week, I wrote about Criterion's new editions of Love Jones and Hollywood Shuffle, and dug into Universal's 4K release of Steven Spielberg's latest masterwork, The Fablemans. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io, or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. Look, I have to write about movies. I, I have to. Come check it out. I guess the, the next question then is how you feel about Breas' thesis, because he's embodying it, right? Like the, the idea that men are drawn to and repulsed by the female anatomy, by women's bodies in equal measure, and that by selecting a gay man, this woman, neither of whom have any, you know, like they never, we never find out any of their names because they're just, you know, like they're puppets for the narrative, which makes sense. They're sort of the essentialist versions of these characters. But the woman has selected him to watch her because he poses no, I guess, threat or judgment. Uh, and then immediately on the first night they have sex. Mm -hmm. So, so that gets like, I don't know where the, mm -hmm. the film stands, which I find really fascinating ever, because when I rewatched it for this, I've seen it three times now, I guess. Um, and when I rewatched it for, before our conversation, it's just, it was that thing where it's like, oh, hang on. No, no. The, like, is, is this, does this make him a hypocrite? Does this make her a hypocrite for allowing it? Or is this what she wanted the whole time? Did she set this up? And all of these mysteries are there. Um, and then the, the narration that supposedly is objective, but is ultimately his perspective, uh, read by Brea herself, keeps countermanding the narrative and refusing to go along with what we're seeing. Mm-hmm expressing motivations and explaining contexts that are held back from us because the characters almost never, you know, like they monologue at each other. They're not really having a conversation. Um, so is that the key to the interpretation or is it an impediment? Like, how do you feel about what the movie is ultimately saying? Or what, or I suppose the more uh, reasonable question is what do you think the film is ultimately saying? Mm, good question. I mean, in terms of, you know, it's always talked about, you know, that he's a gay man. Um, but I've also read interviews with her where she's like, no, he, it's not necessarily about the fact that he's a gay man. They meet in a, in a, you know, in a club where there are men come to meet each other and men don't want to be around women. And she said that represents so many different institutions. Well, she didn't say institutions, but she said so many places, you know, sort of in the psyche or, or, or I, I'm assuming she means you know, place, not as a physical place, um, that men don't want, don't necessarily want to be around women. And so she puts them in a room um, and this woman pays him to, you know, quote unquote, watch her where she's unwatchable. And that to me, that, that sentence in and of itself has, is so fat, multifaceted. Um, and a word that I know that Breyat uses a lot when it comes to film is crystallized or crystal. And I think that there was something about this film, and I could be wrong, but what I feel when I'm watching it is that, especially because she wrote Pornocracy, a book, so that she could get the poetics of it out. Um, because it is, I think, a very poetic film, but there's so few... There's so little room when you're writing a script or when you're making a film like this for words to to cover it. Um, 
because it's a visual, it's visual. Um, but I, do I, you know, I, she, it's also talked about so much the religious aspects of it and, um, oh, there's so many good, just, I'm just flashing on images from the film. Um, but, and, you know, and that they are Adam and Eve, but then she also talks about the Torah and how it's actually more aligned with Judaism. I mean, it's all over the place, right? But is it, is it contradict, is it hypocrisy or is it, or is it that contradictions just exist? Um, that's what I think. I think that she's just talking about the fact that contradictions exist and that people exist and that, um, rather than, than kind of water it down to, um, hypocrisy to men, to women, she wants to talk about the first, the first time she always wants to, you know, that's I, so many of her films are about, you know, a woman losing her virginity the first time. I mean, that that's kind of what this anatomy of hell is like. It's like the first time, um, that these two people are in a room together and the first time, you know, it's, it's beginning, it's birth. It's, um, it's like the beginning of life in a strange way um, for me as somebody who's watching it. And it's maybe part of the reason why I can't look away. But I think if I had to distill the film into, if I had to, into, you know, what it's about, I think it is about, what she, exactly what she said you know your naked soul because <laughs> in a way this woman doesn't employ this man be because she wants to find out about him she wants to find out about herself um she wants him to watch her where she's unwatchable because you i think this is this is just me i'm not putting words in her her mouth i wouldn't dare but you need a mirror sometimes you can't see outside of your own self. You can't see, you can't, you can't see your own ear. You know, you need a, a human being who's willing to just see. And she knows that, you know, the woman in the film knows that she needs that. And which is why she employs his, you know, quote unquote services to watch her um, because she's trying to find out about herself and who she is and whatever that means that doesn't even mean anything who am i that doesn't mean anything um but she's just trying to discover something i think um and so i think the film when i watch it you know you know those vents at the bottom of the ocean the, at the very bottom of the ocean that no life is supposed to be born but there's all these very strange critters that are born out of who knows what nobody. It's a sort of a mystery. Hmm. That's what I think of in this film. She goes to the gross, you know, she, she goes right in there to the grossest depths, the, the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean where life is born and nobody has any understanding of why. And that's why I love this film. <laughs> okay. Well, when I first saw it, my interpretation, and I'm not sure I still believe mm. it, but my interpretation mm. was similar to your mirror theory, which is that the woman is unloading the most horrific self-abuse at him and mm. hoping he disagrees or daring him to agree. And he yes-ands her, right? Like he goes along with 
all of it. And he's the first one to drink the offered uh, cocktail. She has, she actually has more of a hesitation drinking it herself after he does, which I remember seeing that in a screening room and feeling people kind of go, <clears throat> you could, you could hear people reacting to it. And I like, my brain is going, okay, so I didn't actually, is it cherry juice? Like, did they just, what, how do you, how do you fake this? Cause mm -hmm. obviously it can't be real. That's a massive health hazard. And then my brain is also saying, well, it's Catherine Brea. If anybody can convince her actors to do something like that, it's this person. And so, but regardless, I mean, to, to have him be the willing, mm -hmm. um, he's not encouraging her to go further. She just keeps doing it because he won't stop her. And his passivity is the yeah. opposite of the masculine uh, role in like the perceived masculine role in seductions. And so mm -hmm. I came away wondering, like, is this her way of drawing him in and, and getting him to accept her as she sees herself without ever saying, you know, like, this is horrible. Don't, don't speak this way of yourself because we've all been in situations where people will say something self-deprecating and our instinct is, no, that's not true of you. You like, you are not this, this thing that you perceive yourself as. And this is where myself as a spectator, I'm missing things about even myself watching this film because I think you're absolutely right. Um, in, in a certain regard, you know, I, I think, it is what she's doing. You're absolutely right. It's incredibly masochistic in a certain way. Um, okay. And, she, you know, Briot talks a lot about hatred. She talks about a lot about love. She talks about beauty in a certain regard. And she talks, uh, obviously, you know, she doesn't even have to talk about sex, but she sort of is forced to um, because she makes movies with a lot of sex um, surrounding that topic and intimacy and. Um, it's, I'm so glad you said that because yeah, I'm, I'm scratching my head going, wow, I think I must've missed that too, because there must be a part of me in that, um, that, that, that wants to see what would happen you know, if 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 Briot, if we're if you're going on the fact that Briot says that her films are are made really for just one person, and I'm the person watching, or you're the person watching, I am obviously going to see myself in this woman in a certain regard, but I also see myself in the man. Um, but I I I'm a little I'm I'm so happy you said that because I'm going wow I really missed something about myself in that. Um, there might be something a bit masochistic in in me even loving this film so much. And maybe that's also the film acts as a mirror for myself, but, but even still I miss things. Um, and she really takes it all the way, you're right, with, with that self, it's almost it's like self-punishment, self-hatred, self. -hatred, self um, and I am... You know, I, I'm hesitant to say I'm a believer in in the I'm a believer in intimacy and with these two people and I and you don't have to have two people to have intimacy, but it's it's um, helpful 
even with yourself to have more intimacy if you have this person to bounce things off of. And you're right. I think there is also something about power and something about, there has to be something about power in that because she's paying him <laughs> to watch her and then also kind of validate the fact of these, all these horrible feelings that she has about herself and horrible. I shouldn't even say horrible feelings. I should just say feelings about herself. Um, I'm also very much so a person that I think that we need everybody, you know, where I've said it before, you know, I, I have, I never thought I would do the kinds of movies that I'm doing. You know, I never thought I, I thought I would do weird art films and, um, and then the nature of film really changed as soon as I, as soon as it started happening for me and the indie quote unquote film became like the most coveted and difficult thing to acquire. Um, whereas I always thought that's just where I would end up. You know, I never, I never thought about it um, being anything like this, but I think there's also a part mm. of anatomy of hell that I, I, I secretly or not, maybe not so secretly desire to make films like that. And um, because I want the experience of being exposed to myself or, 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 or just finding out something like this conversation even is you really, you, I'm so glad I was so glad you said that because I was like, ah, he's correct in so many ways. And in the, and it's weird because even in this conversation, you're sort of the mirror <laughs> and we're, we're mirror images. Um, but that's sort of the beauty and the nature of film, I guess. To, to that end, I mean, you are, you, you've went to college to be a photojournalist. You have a visual eye, clearly. You uh, share a writing credit on, on Jethica, the film that we're ostensibly here to talk about. And like, would you, like, are you thinking about directing? Are you thinking about making the leap? Okay. Um, I don't know because I don't really, I've never felt that I had the personality to be a director. There's a certain personality type that I think directors have. Maybe they don't have to have, but it's a, it's an extreme amount of responsibility. <laughs> and sure. I don't know if I'm equipped. I'm just being honest. I don't know if I'm equipped for that. Um, I don't know if I trust myself enough for that. It It's been more talked about now and presented to me as why aren't you directing why aren't you doing this um you are a director why aren't you doing this um and that's been said to me for a number of years and I've always ignored it um I don't know what I'm doing I'm being so honest with you I just did a J-Lo Jennifer Coolidge you know Lenny Kravitz like big shiny rom-com that I never in a million years I have no idea how I got cast in that movie I I kind of constantly joke that someone I think someone must have dropped out last minute because um I have I, I it came out of left field um but the script was a script that had been shelved from 2010 so it was it was very much so when you read the original script which is not what you see now but it was very much so in the in the realm of you know those more action comedies from those from that era like sure yeah, yeah and things like that and um you know 
I loved reading the script. It was fun and silly and goofy. And I wanted to do it because there's definitely that side of me for sure. Um, but I, I just never in a million years could have foreseen where I would be 10 years from when I started, you know, cause when I started, I was playing cello in a band with uh, a friend of mine, Jess Williamson, who's now, you know, has a band with Waxahachie and planes and she has her own thing. And, you know, and I went on tour and I was dating, you know, I, I graduated with photojournalism and I said, shit, I know I'm never going to work in an office. And now I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, and I was young when I went to college, I was 16. So by the time I graduated, I was really young and I had no idea. Um, and then met somebody in Austin and was playing music. I was in a punk band. I was in playing, you know, in this other band, I had no direction. I just knew I woke up every day for the year that I, after I graduated, which I referred to as like the lost year. And it was like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something else, but I really don't know what. Um, and I was dating someone who was freshly out of jail and he was actually a very nice person. He's still a very nice person. Um, he just got mixed up in the wrong stuff, but it was like, I was, I was totally floating. And that's, if anybody, I'm sure you've been there at some point, everybody's been there at some point. It is the most terrifying free fall. Um, and it's funny because then, you know, very shortly after that, I got back from a tour with Jess and broke up with my boyfriend and moved in with a bodybuilder the next day as a temporary solution for housing, went to my job at this crappy, you know, shitty little boutique that I was working at as a shop girl got fired because I sucked at my job and you know got in my car and was crying and didn't know what I was going to do and got t-boned at a red light on the way to the bank to cash my last paycheck and it was like that was all in a span of 48 hours and I lost everything that I had anything to hang on to at that point in time and then really just very quickly stumbled into stumbled onto a set that Terrence Malick was directing, walked onto my first set and thought, I never want to be anywhere else. I just want to be on a set. Um, and flash forward 10 years later, I'm very much so in that same free fall now because I'm 34. I'm not 24. Um, it's a different, you know, going to the shotgun wedding premiere was truly flabbergasting to me because I've been off the internet for so long. I'm not an e-girl in any way, shape or form. And seeing like TikTok in real time was actually, I could have cried. <laughs> I was so, I was so disturbed. And, um, I, you know, I am a person that I think we need everybody, you know, that's what makes the world go around, but I don't have a place in that world and I feel very much so in a similar place now um it's a strange thing where Jessica premiered the same week that shotgun wedding premiered yeah and everyone's very confused most of all me <laughs> um and I don't know um what I'm supposed to do or what I'm doing or where I'm going I'm very much so in a free fall all I know is that I 
love making movies and maybe I'll direct, maybe I won't. I definitely, writing has always been something that I've just done just because, but um, it's the um, like introverted answer to the extroverted actor in me. And I have both very equally. So uh, long-winded answer, but I don't know. I'm really in a place now where I have no clue what's going to happen. But that means you can do anything. I mean, when we we met in 2016 and I had seen you in La La Land and Blair Witch literally back to back in the same screening room, like 1 p.m., 3 p.m. And it was just like, oh, okay, she can do anything. And whatever it is, I want to see it. That's so nice of you to say that. I mean, and I I miss, you know, those two directors working with those two directors back to back. Adam pushed, he's still a friend. Hi, Adam. Um, I loved working with Adam because he would not accept anything but the best me fully giving. And I know I left, you know, metaphorical blood on the floor when I, when I did 34 takes of that final dying scene. And I, I, I was like, there's no further place I could go. Um, And that as, as I don't even want to say as an actor, as a human being, that place that you can go to and somebody that's there to be like, I won't accept anything less because you're capable is, um, is profoundly moving to me. And so, an experience that I've rarely had since. And Damien Chazelle was a person that very much so you knew he knew what he wanted. And so you had the comfort of the containment to do whatever it was that was happening at the time. And I have to say, it's been a really long time that I've experienced that since. Um, other than Jessica, because I'm, we just went and made, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, compete as a friend, but I, I, yeah, in a similar thing 10 years ago when I was saying, you know, when I lost everything, I just sort of got stripped of everything. And I thought it, that was the first thought I had. I said, okay, I have nothing. I can do anything. Um, and, and, you know, and things really did start happening pretty quick uh, within six weeks of, of that. And so, yes, in a weird way, I am in a, but I'm, but I'm older now. I, I'm more confused in some, (laughs) in some senses of the word than I was when I was 24 and just a punk ass kid, you know, going into this being like, I can do anything. Um, I have nothing to lose, you know. I literally had I had no nothing. I slept on couches for two years in New York. I, I had nothing to lose. And now I guess I I don't know. I don't know. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared shitless, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, I have nothing to lose really. But it's but it's different. It, it's different when you're older. You yeah. Well, you have your sense of self, right? Like when I when I changed jobs a year ago, it was this process of hitting a brick wall, realizing that things were over where they were, and then just realizing that this is. I mean, I, I my wife gets full credit. Kate said, "You don't know what you can do. You know what you are doing, but you have no idea what other people can get you to do if you ask them." Mm-hmm. And find out what they need. And she was dead right. 
And it's, that was the greatest piece of advice I've ever received because it's true. I, I only know what I've, what I think I can do, right? Like it's, it's, you're in your own head all the time. Mm -hmm. There is no one who knows you that well until you reach outside and have someone who knows you pretty damn well say, oh no, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's okay to, and I, and, and weirdly that brings me back to, to Brea, right? Because she's constantly looking and forcing us to see these people and in the most intimate moment, you see um, literally a naked person, but also you see them stripped of all of their defenses, all of their barriers, all of their self-protection, and admitting that they don't like themselves mm -hmm. in this film specifically, but, but it's in all of them. Like Fat Girl is nothing but self-loathing. And the end of each movie Fat girl, you know, you can argue what the ending means, but I think it's weirdly hopeful. I think it is strangely a, a graduation from that existence. In an anatomy of hell, he goes back and can't find her, and she's moved on or never existed. But of course, she did. Like you can, you can play with metaphor, but the, the concrete reality, which is what Brea is all about, is saying that these are way stations that we're seeing these people at their lowest, and then they can go off and rebuild. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. It can happen. I, I mean, I usually end the podcast by asking people what of the film that they've discussed, they've borrowed or stolen or been inspired by, but I think it's the whole mise-en-scene and raison d'etre, right? I mean, it's everything. It's everything. I, I don't, I, I haven't stolen anything. I mean, not yet. I mean, maybe, maybe so, but I, so I felt seen when I, watched the film um and the fact that she wrote the fact that she wrote the book pornocracy and then based her screen you know because so oftentimes i am a writer but when i go to write a screenplay it's so limiting you know mm. and i when the fact that i was i had the idea before i knew anything about her process for anatomy of hell i was like it's almost like i have to write a novella first and then I can make the film or something. And then the fact that she just demonstrated, you know, that she did that, I thought, oh yeah, well, okay. It's obviously possible. I need to stop thinking about it so much and just do it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, just the mere fact that it exists. Um, I don't want to say gives me hope. It just makes me feel alive. Um, you know, I'm no stranger to leading a very, <laughs> uh, a beautiful life, but also, a, you know, lots of death and lots of just very, it has never been easy, but I wouldn't have it any other way, you know? Um, and, you know, I don't, and no, no one ever wants pity, you know, I certainly don't want that, but yeah, I mean, the fact it, it's not that Catherine Briott with Anatomy of Health gave me direction. It just showed me what, that something was possible and showed it was just a, it was just a pure. I didn't even know, obviously, based on this conversation, I didn't even know what, you know, I was taking away from it. I just knew I loved it. Um, I read this interview once of someone being accused of, of um, I think it was a composer being accused of um, plagiarizing Tarkovsky or, some, or, or Tchaikovsky, um, excuse me, so, something, I can't remember what it was, but 
and I might be butchering this completely, but, um, you know, somebody confronted him about it and he said, I have a right. I love him. And, you know, that's, that's something that I don't know where the home is now in this grand scheme of filmmaking and festivals. Are different. The, everything's different. And I don't know what it was like 50 years ago. Maybe it's the same. What do I know? But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> My thanks to Callie Hernandez, whose new film, Jethica, is now streaming in the U.S. on Fandor and hopefully available in the rest of the world before too long. Thanks also to Kayla Heyer. She knows what she did. Callie's not on Twitter, but her Instagram is Callie Hernandez, all one word, and while Anatomy of Hell only seems to be streaming in Belgium, the Tartan DVDs are still floating around out there if you want to go looking. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week.